We reminded ourselves last week that everybody lives by faith. It's not just the Christians. Everybody lives by faith. The question is faith in what? What is the object of our faith? Everybody deep within their souls has a longing. A longing for something that will satisfy, a longing for something that gives us significance. We have these deep, real longing in our souls as people made in the image of God. And there are millions of people who believe somehow, some way, those deepest longings can be satisfied in this world. They believe somehow this world will ultimately make them happy, will make them significant, will meet the deepest needs in their soul. In essence, they do believe you can create heaven on earth. Most of us in the room would say, we simply don't have that much faith. We look at the world such as it is, and that just seems like a reckless leap of faith. Rather, we choose to believe there's got to be something different and something better. That's what we want to talk about this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 11. It's our second week in Hebrews 11. And it'd be good to go back to verse 1 and just remind ourselves again of the Hebrews' definition of faith. So faith is the assurance, the confidence of things hoped for. Again, hope in the New Testament is something that is certain, but it's also something that is yet future. This word assurance is a word that can also be translated. It's the substance In other words, it's something I believe so strongly that it actually becomes the substance or the foundation of my life. I believe it to such a degree that I live that way in such a way that I actually give people a glimpse today of the world to come. It is the conviction of things not seen which reminds us this is a faith that is thoughtful, it's reasoned, it's not just a reckless leap of faith, but rather we have examined the evidence and concluded this is what we believe is true. The writer then goes on to illustrate this kind of faith through people like Abel, through Enoch, through Noah, through Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, which is where we pick up the story in verse 13. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things and make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. This is very important to understand. What the writer says is all these died in faith without receiving the promises. We don't like that. We want what we want, and we want it now. I want the promises kept, and I want them kept now. Many Christians struggle with this desire to see the promises fulfilled and fulfilled now. We want to believe somehow the deepest longings of our soul can be satisfied in this worth. We want to somehow create heaven on earth. It's a little bit like building your dream house in a war zone. And let's imagine the builder tells you again and again not to do it. It's not going to work. But you won't listen. You insist. So he builds you your dream house in a war zone. Then you don't like it. It's too noisy. It's too dangerous. But here's the irony. Then you turn around and you blame the builder. That's what we do. We take these promises and we want them fulfilled now. We want our best life now. And so that's what we try to accomplish, heaven on earth. But this world just breaks our heart again and again and again. And when it doesn't work out like we want it to work out, then we blame God. And God says, wait a minute, that's not what I promised. I didn't promise your best life now. You can sell a lot of books with that theme. You can fill a big auditorium with that theme. But it simply isn't what God promises. What God promises is this is going to be tough. This is a war zone. This is a cosmic war between the forces of darkness and the God of the universe. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. The hope of the gospel is the reminder that one day Jesus is coming back and will we, we will be ushered to the place that our souls long for. We live by faith. We will die in faith. Having not seen most of the promises fulfilled. It can be a very long, painful journey coming to grips with this. We try and we try and we try to somehow satisfy the longings in our soul and the things of this world. How much pain, how much suffering, how much disappointment, how many goodbyes to people you deeply love are necessary before you finally realize, hey, this isn't working. This world isn't cutting it. This can't be where it's at. And you begin to realize the hope of the gospel is I believe by faith that there is a world to come. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they believed the promise. 
that God would give them a land, but they all lived in tents. They all died having never seen the promise fulfilled. The text said they were aliens and strangers. They were saying, this world is not my home. At least not as it is now. The writer says they wanted to find a place they could call home. And if they were referring to the cities from which they left, they could have just gone back home. Moving to some other place, trying some other thing is not going to cut it. But rather with eyes of faith, they knew they were headed for somewhere else. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. They understood that even the land of promise is but a shadow of the eventual city their souls long for, which is not an earthly city. It's a heavenly city. That will be everything that they long for, but they believe by faith. They live by faith. They die by faith. Believing it's true. It's very interesting what the last part of verse 16 says. Therefore, as a result of that, remembering that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, these were not perfect people. Go back and read their stories. There were times of struggle. There were times of doubt. There were times when they seriously messed up. Jacob was a liar. He was a schemer. You don't even like the guy after you read his story. The message has never been on the basis of their performance, but on the basis of their belief. They believed that God would keep his promise. Therefore, God is not ashamed. We think of that concept of ashamed as kind of an emotional thing. But we're talking about a first century shame, honor culture. Where shame and honor were never private, they were always public. It was either honor or shame before the community. So essentially what the text is saying is these people that lived and died by faith, that as a result of that, God would not be ashamed. He would be honored to stand before the community and say, I am honored to say, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. As a matter of fact, in the book of Exodus, when God introduces himself, how does he introduce himself? I am the God of Abraham. And Isaac and Jacob. Think about that moment. As people who live and die by faith, we live our lives that way, that God would stand before the community and he would say, I just want you to know I am honored to say I am the God of Michael. I am the God of David. I am the God of Margaret. 
What an amazing moment that would be. Last week, I shared just a little bit of my dad's story. My dad suffered for over 20 years in excruciating pain, but he was very positive. He was a man of remarkable faith. I never heard him complain. I never heard him ask why. As a matter of fact, the pattern of his life was to ask again and again, how might my story glorify God? All the way to the finish line. Amazing. Remarkable faith. My dad died in the summer of 1982. He died at home. And within just a few minutes after his death, three significant men showed up at our house. Men who had been a significant part of my dad's story. While my dad was still in the bed, no one else had come. Just these three men and our family. One was Kurt Lehman, the founder of this church. One was Theodore Epp, the founder of Back to the Bible. And one was Bob Peterson, also of Back to the Bible. And for about an hour, we talked and prayed circled around my dad's bed that still held his lifeless body. I remember vividly Bob Peterson opened up and read from Acts chapter 7. It's the story of the martyrdom of Stephen, believed to be the first Christian martyr. Stephen was a remarkable man of faith. He believed the message so strongly, he was willing to die for it. And he did die for it. He was stoned to death outside the gate of Jerusalem. If you go back and read that text, there's a detail there that would be easy to miss. When you read the text, as Stephen was dying, the text says he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, extraordinarily rare. Almost always, Jesus is identified as seated at the right hand of the Father. But in that glorious moment, as he was welcoming home this warrior, the text says Stephen looked and he saw Jesus standing as a way of saying, I am honored to be the God of Stephen. Welcome home. In that moment, Bob Peterson read that text and he expressed his thoughts that he believed in that moment Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. And he was welcoming home his courageous faithful, obedient servant saying to the community, I am honored to be called the God of Eugene Clark. It was just one of those sacred moments. But there's a lot of people that would say this life after death stuff, it's just Wishful thinking. It's kind of a way where we psychologically cope 
with the fear of death. That's what makes the verses that follow so important. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. So this story is found in Genesis chapter 22. You can go back and read it for yourself. The verb tense here would indicate that in Abraham's mind, he had already offered Isaac. In other words, he wasn't still wrestling with the idea. He had settled it. He would offer his son Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It's the same language as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The language means specifically uh, unique or special. We're called the sons of God, the daughters of God, but we're not God's only begotten son in that special way that Jesus was. In the same way, Abraham had other sons, but they were not the son of promise. Isaac was. And so Abraham is wrestling with this idea that God promised that the seed would travel through Isaac, but he's asking me to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. At this point, Isaac would have been 12, 13 years old, something like that. Verse 18, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. So in his mind, Abraham had settled it. Verse 19, he considered, that word is very strong. He had a deep, deep conviction that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Essentially what the text is saying, that Abraham in his mind had as good as sacrificed Isaac. He had settled it. But he believed so strongly in the promise and that God tells the truth that he had believed he would have to sacrifice Isaac, but somehow God would raise him from the dead in order to fulfill his promise. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis 22 and you read the story, Abraham says to his servants, wait at the bottom of the hill and we will return to you. He believed with all of his heart that he and Isaac would return. And his way of making sense of that is God's going to raise him from the dead. What the text essentially says is, in a way, God did. Because God stopped Abraham before he plunged the knife into Isaac. And Abraham and Isaac did walk back down the hill together. But the other part of that story is in that moment when God stopped Abraham, he provided a ram. And the ram would die rather than Isaac. The ram would be the substitute for Isaac that would die that day. We don't have to guess at this. The text actually tells us that was a type. It was a shadow. It was a picture. 
We've had a lot of that in Hebrews. It was the reminder that one day on this same mountain, on Mount Moriah, there would be a father who would actually sacrifice his only begotten son for the sins of the world. He would be the substitute. He would be the Lamb of God who would die the death for Isaac, would die the death for Abraham, would die the death for all of us as sinners. We've learned this in Hebrews. He died our death. His blood uh, is sufficient payment for sin. There's nothing more that needs to be done. But what the story also includes is the resurrection. That Jesus not only died and was buried, but he conquered sin and death once and for all when he rose from the dead, literally physically, bodily, rose from the dead. That's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15. The basis by which we believe that we will experience resurrection after death is not just religious talk. It's not just wishful thinking. It's based on the fact that Jesus himself literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead and conquered sin and death once and for all that we too might be resurrected and live even though we die. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Regarding things to come, by faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. The text is reminding us That Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they believed the promise. But they would die having never seen it fulfilled. They would never inherit the land in their lifetime. What did Abraham have to pass on to Isaac? The promise. What did Isaac have to pass on to his sons, Jacob and Esau? The promise. Boys, I know we've been living in a tent our whole lives, but God tells the truth. We have to trust him. What did Jacob pass on to his son Joseph and his grandsons? The promise. Boys, I know we're in Egypt, and it looks like we may not ever make it back, but God promised. You have to believe that. You have to trust him. Joseph so believed the promise that he said, don't bury me here. Egypt was his home. He said, don't bury me here. Take the bones to Canaan, because that will be our land. It would be over 400 years before God would raise up Moses to deliver them out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, his sons, they'd all be buried in Canaan. But the time of the burial, the land would belong to someone else. They just believed by faith. One day, God will keep his promise. 
But it was more than that. They understood the land of promise was yet but a picture of something more. They were aliens and strangers. They were passing through. They wanted a country of their own, which ultimately would be a heavenly city. That would be everything their souls longed for. It is interesting that in verse 16, God had prepared a place. It was past tense. God already had the city ready. When they died, he welcomed them home. It is our tendency to want to create heaven on earth. To believe that the things of this world will ultimately satisfy the deepest longings within us. And as I said, that can be a long, painful process of understanding that's not true. How much pain? How much suffering? How many disappointments? How many heartbreaks? How many goodbyes to people we deeply love will be necessary before we finally come to grips with the fact this world is not cutting it? This world just teases me. This world just breaks my heart again and again and again. And there's something deep within our souls that says, please tell me there's something more. We're aliens and strangers headed for a place we will call home a heavenly city. But it's critically important to understand we're not merely talking about life after death. We're not talking about our spirits just somehow living and floating on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about redemption We're talking about restoration. We're talking about God making things right. Taking what was broken and corrupted, the things that broke our heart, and somehow restoring and redeeming them and making them right. It's not just life after death floating on a cloud. It's a restoration. It's a redemption. It's God's declaration. I win completely, fully, totally. The root of this is found in the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead, he did not rise from the dead with a new body. He rose from the dead with a resurrected body. He showed the imprints of the nails in his hands. He showed the scar in his side. It was the body that was crucified and buried that rose again. This is Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15. That is the basis by which we believe this body, such as it is, is the body that will be raised from the dead. This mortal will put on immortality. I don't just float out on a cloud somewhere. This body will be restored to me and it will be changed and it will be made the way God intended it to be. And it's the picture of redemption, of restoration, of making right what was taken and broken. This is critically important to understand because it is a message filled with such hope. 
The things that broke our heart, the things that disappointed us, the things in this world that simply were not the way we had hoped they would be. Somehow they're made right and restored and given back. One of the most painful moments of my life was April 2016. I have an image burned in my head and it will not go away. It is a picture of my beautiful daughter lying in a hospital bed holding an absolutely beautiful Full-term, lifeless baby. I grieve for little Letty, but I grieve for my daughter knowing there would be a never, never be another moment in this life where she wouldn't carry that pain. Those pains don't go away. And I knew in that moment everything would change. Letty was so beautiful. She was so beautiful. But by this moment, Letty was in the presence of Jesus. And all we were holding was her lifeless body. But that's not insignificant. Because it's that little lifeless body that will be raised from the dead, that will be changed that will reunite with her spirit. It will be restoration. It will be redemption. It will be the giving back of what was taken. We never got to see little Letty smile. Never got to see her laugh. Never got to see her cry. Never saw any life in her body. Never see her crawl. All the things that a parent wants to see from a child. I didn't get that. But here's the critical piece of that. This story is not over. It is not over. Don't ask me to settle for this world. I will not. This story is not over. It's just on pause. It's delayed. The message is not Letty's floating on a cloud somewhere. It's that she will be resurrection. She will be restored. We will get back the things that this world took from us that so broke our hearts. Heaven will be different for everyone. It will be part of your story. It will be the giving back of what was taken and broken and destroyed. It's just on pause. But the rest of the story is yet to come. One of the things that will define heaven for me, I just want to throw a ball to my dad. I just want to go for a walk with my dad. I just want to see one day without pain with my dad. I want my dad to meet my girls. 
Never got to meet my girls. I can't wait for that day. That day's coming. Don't ask me to settle for this world. I will not. I am a stranger and an alien. I'm just passing through. I'm looking for a place I can call home. I'm looking for a place with no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. I'm looking for a place with no more goodbyes. The more you understand this, the more you believe this, the more it changes the way you live every day. The more it changes your priorities, the more it changes your perspective, the more it changes your values, the more you realize what matters and what doesn't matter. I'm not trying to create heaven on earth. I'm an alien and I'm a stranger and I'm headed to a better place. God made a promise and I believe God tells the truth. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I live by faith. And I will die in faith. Having never seen the promise fulfilled, but believing with all my heart, it is true. And there will come a day, finally, where I will finally be home. Our Father, just... It's hard to even process the depth of the hope of the gospel. God, we know this world teases us. This world breaks our hearts again and again. It just reminds us this world is not our home. That we are aliens and strangers and by faith, We are headed to a better city. A place that will finally be home. God, until that day, find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.